So I want to talk about destiny, accusation, and inner head trash. You ready? <laughs> Jono and Lee, I was praying for you guys this morning because I was in your brother's cafe and it just reminded me of you. And the more I thought of you guys, the more excited I got in spirit. And I was kind of hoping you were coming. That wasn't all I had to say, though. <laughs> I've, so obviously I kind of know your situation just a little. Um, but what I couldn't help but feel in spirit, like you guys have been squeezed into this narrow place, which is the world's greatest understatement, right? But I just couldn't help but feel the expectation of you're actually about to burst, burst forth into the wide open space. It's like... You're right near the edge and it's just about to open up for you. And I just felt the excitement in the spirit, but I felt like the spirit's excitement over you of, look what's about to come. So take that as hope because I know when you're in that narrow place, it just feels really interesting, really narrow. But you are just about to burst out. Yabba dabba do. Don't know what that means, but yeah. Um. <laughs> a funny little thing. Where did Megan go? Did she get raptured? I was like, we're in serious trouble if that's what happened. Oh, okay. The funny thing was, so Megan talked about she did this youth thing on Friday night. Um, We do a combined churches youth night, usually once a quarter, I think. We just kind of show up and do stuff together, which is really cool. There she is. What was really fun was we recalled, I'm talking about you, yes, um, was that 25 years ago, (laughs) <laughs> it's okay, I'm not going to tell those bits, but uh, 25 years ago, Megan was like a 13-year-old in the youth group that I was the youth pastor of. And that's where it all started. That's where, that's where it began. And then 25 years down the track, I'm being her assistant as she's leading a whole group of youth, which is really, really cool. I was a lousy assistant, but she did an awesome job. So um, that is just really cool. Longevity, like, just rocks. Just rocks. Okay, destiny, accusation, inner head trash. Why am I talking about that? All year we have been harping on this theme because we just can't help but feel that God's on it, that this is the year to step into the fullness of who you really are. And we've just also finished a program that about 20, 25 of us have gone through on destiny alignment and activation. We've done a whole lot of profiling stuff and a whole lot of one-on-one stuff around discovering who you really are, what's your core identity, um, how are you gifted by God and what does that look like and what are the things you need to do to start to step forward into more of that. Now, when you start to either step up or step in to that which God has called you to do, there's this wall that you often hit called accusation. Anyone who's ever walked any kind of ministry destiny thing knows exactly what I'm talking about. It's like there's this great big circle and it's like it's really, really big. Inside it is your sphere, your destiny. And as you walk toward it, the voices of accusation get louder and louder and louder. And when you're just about to step in, it's almost like accusation in spirit is screaming at you. Um, If you're experiencing that, know this, you are right on track. You are absolutely bang on track. You see, I love this quote of Chris Valentin's. He says, the dogs of doom bark loudest at the doorway of your destiny. The dogs of doom bark loudest at the doorway of your destiny. When you hear them barking, you know you are near your promised land. And then I also found this random quote 
um, love randoms when they actually work out. The dogs with the loudest bark are the ones that are the most afraid. So if you're getting a really, really loud bark, then the enemy is having varying forms of dysentery over the idea of you coming really close to your destiny. (laughs) Sorry, I only have visceral (laughs) illustrations, but... And that is, a, that is an understatement. The louder the accusation, more often the more on track you are because those spirits of accusation are assigned to keep you out. And too many people get sucked into the accusation and start to try and enter into a conversation with it and end up sidelined, sidetracked, discouraged, disheartened and going, I'm never going near that again because last time I did, wow, how loud was the accusation? But there is a way to open up a can of kick butt on accusation. That's somewhere in scripture. I'll probably have to read it in or write it into the margin. But So let me just talk about accusation for a moment in terms of how it works. And I talked about this in a series I did on Nehemiah. Are you heckling me? Sorry. What, what doesn't work? Accusation. It doesn't work? Well, it doesn't if you don't let it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what was I talking about now? <laughs> um, Nehemiah, thank you. That's where I was. I knew that. So about two years ago, I did a series on Nehemiah. And one of the things that Nehemiah faces as he starts to step towards rebuilding the wall is this dude called Sanballat the Horonite. And he's, he is, did you need the interpretation of that? Sanballat. Sandbag. That, that's probably appropriate too, because he is a sandbag in the process of destiny. Um, who basically starts to accuse him. And he is like um, a metaphor for the voice of the enemy in, um, in the book of Nehemiah. And he attacks four things against Nehemiah. He first attacks his, and this is what he'll do with us. First thing he'll do is he'll try and attack your history. He'll bring your history, he'll put it in your face. And with your history, he'll use two weapons, fear and shame. Fear. This is what you're like. This is... Yeah, this is going to happen again. And shame, look at, who you, look at what you did. Are those voices familiar to anyone in the room? Or is it just me? <laughs> it's just me. Thank you so much. <laughs> Love feeling the encouragement coming from somewhere. <laughs> um, so the first thing he'll attack is your history. The good news about your history is it's under the blood. It's a done deal. The cross took care of your history. So your history has, the only power your history has is that which you give it. And one of the things Nehemiah did so brilliantly was he didn't actually engage with it. He didn't engage in a conversation with the voices that accused him. He just said, you got no place in building this thing. Here's what we're going to do. He didn't even enter the conversation. He just got on. And this is the thing. When accusation comes and starts to accuse your history, it's quite easy to start to get into the conversation in your head and starting to try and argue with it. Don't go there. Because you're arguing on the enemy's battleground. And, you just, and we don't need to play there. We just don't need to. Because he plays in the second heaven and we live in the third heaven. All we have to do is go up there. So he'll attack your history. He'll attack your identity. He'll attack your identity. Jesus faced this in the wilderness when he was tempted, when the enemy came to him and said, if you are the son of God, two out of the three temptations were, if you are the son of God, then. And each of those two things has a thing in and of itself. But 
the thing that comes out of that is that that word if, he just cast doubt on who he is, or tried to cast doubt on who Jesus was, and then tries to get him to prove himself. It's one of the major accusation traps is, we, is prove yourself. Because the moment we're trying to prove ourselves, we're stepping out of grace, we're stepping out of rest, we're stepping into our own striving, and things often go bad, which only then reinforce the voices of accusation. It's not a good strategy. What's the word I'm looking for? So it's not a good cycle either. That's actually better. Yes. So he'll attack your history, he'll attack your identity, then he'll attack your labour. This is what he did with Nehemiah as the accusation went on through. Look at this work you're doing. You feeble Jews, you know, that's the kind of identity thing. And he goes, your labour is all going to come to nothing. He'll go over your history, he'll go over all the things you do and go, well, what's that come to? What good was that? You'll miss all of the amazing things that happened and all of the bits that God did. Of course, you'll miss all of that and he'll just start pointing. He'll start attacking your labor. And then when all of that fails, he'll just use downright intimidation. That's the fourth thing he uses. If you step in there, this is going to happen to your family. This is going to happen to you. This is going to happen to your reputation. This is, and off he goes. That's basically the pattern of how, how a spirit of accusation works. They're, they're the areas that they hit. Satan's name literally means accuser. That, that, that is the definition or the, or the meaning of his name. And we see him in Revelation chapter 12. Um, verse 9, I'll start for Revelation 12. And, and this is in the middle of a vision that John's having, saying, The great dragon was hurled down, the ancient, cur- the ancient serpent called the devil or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now has come the salvation, the power, and the kingdom of God and the authority of his Messiah. For the, accusers, for the accuser of our brothers who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. The good news is that's his position. He's been chucked down. That's the good news. The accuser has actually been defeated. And the only way he gets authority is from the people who have it. Who are the people that have the authority? We do. That's a whole other thing, which is probably coming up over the next few weeks um, in terms of where our authority is and, who, and what authority that we have. But then we have it because Jesus got the authority back and then said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, therefore go. In other words, go with the authority that I have. I'm now placing on you. Now go and kick butt. That's the fairest interpretation. Um, and then it says, they overclaim by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. This is a real key. So the blood of the lamb nails your history to the wall. Nails your history to the cross would be an even better way to say that. But the word of the testimony, the testimony is the record of what God's done. Keeping a record of what God has done in your life and through your life where he has provided for you, where he has healed you, where he has brought you breakthrough, where he has been there for you in, in difficult times. They are your battle fodder. And as we focus on what God has done, it undermines that intimidation that the enemy brings because we're focusing on the strength of God that we ourselves have experienced. We're not focusing on our current lack. You know, in, in the times where we've really needed provision, one of my greatest warfares has just been to go over and replay in my heart and mind the times where God has come through and provided for us. 
And all I do is I just go over the stories, go over the stories until faith actually starts to burst forth in my heart. And then the, the fear and the accusation just can't stick around. Okay, if you're facing certain kinds of illness, go and Google testimonies of people that have been healed of that thing. We're really good at doing the medical Google doctor thing um, and finding all the things that can go wrong and all the intricate details of symptoms and every possibility that could go wrong. But what if we started to Google for testimonies of people that have been healed of that and started to feed on that? So what we can see, Satan's name means accuser. We overcome, we open up that can of kick butt by the blood of the lamb, that, that, that's his part. And then the word of our testimony, which is our part, which is we align ourselves with what God has done. We focus, we feed on what God has done. Now, let's jump to Ephesians 6, really familiar passage. Which is the armor of God. So Ephesians 6. And I'm not going to go through the whole armor because I just want to focus on the shield. So verse 16 of Ephesians 6. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Now, Paul wasn't just kind of cursing there. He was like, oh, flaming arrows. <laughs> fiery, yeah, the fiery darts of the evil one, what are, what are they? And many of you have heard me talk about this before. Well, if his name means accuser, then the fiery darts are the accusations that he flings at us in those, area, in those four areas. And we extinguish the, the fiery darts of the evil one with the shield of faith. Now, what is faith? Now, we could go into that, and I've done that many times before. But faith is connected to what God has said and done. So how do we hold the shield of faith? So what we know from Romans is faith comes by hearing. We often think faith comes by reading, but faith actually comes by hearing. And hearing by the Word of God is a dangerous rabbit trail. I'm a little stuck in it, so let me try and talk my way out of it. We often think, well, faith comes by reading and reading by the logos, the written, the scriptures. Now, the scriptures are awesome. Don't, don't hear me wrong. I love them. They are awesome. They are life. They are everything good. But the verses actually says faith comes by hearing. So it's an auditory thing, not a visual thing. By hearing, hearing by the word of God. Now, in Greek, there are two words for the word word. Try that. <laughs> two words for the word word. One is logos which either refers to the person of Jesus or to the scriptures, the written word. And the other is the word rima, which is when God speaks a direct word in, in exactly the right time, in exactly the right place to your situation. Now, in that verse that's in Romans, it says, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. The word word, the word for the word word <laughs> there is rima. It's not Logos. In other words, faith comes when God breathes a specific word into our situation that comes alive in our spirit and then faith bursts forth. Now, quite often, to allow the context for that to happen, we need to be in the Scriptures because He will bring the Scriptures alive at the right moment, at the right time. I, can, I remember um, one situation I was in that was a bit hairy and a bit ugly and I remember one of my intercessors at the time ringing me and just said, I think God wants you to read Psalm 34. 
And I read Psalm 34 and it could not have been more specific to my situation. And it actually took a situation that was causing a whole lot of fear and intimidation in me. And that one word that hit my spirit accurately at the right time, I was able to laugh at it and just go, all right, because I've got a word now. And then all I have to do is just bring my heart into alignment and declare what he has said. So faith comes by hearing. So staying in what God says about your situation long enough for faith to actually burst forth experientially. So we're a little bit too conceptual, like A plus B equals C in, in like our steps. We kind of want to just go tick that, tick that, tick that, right. Have I got it yet? What, what's happening? But getting in faith is, this is going to sound interesting, but it's a little like getting pregnant. Like it, it's an experiential thing and it takes time. And you don't want to, this is why it's a metaphor rather than a literal scenario, Jane. So it's okay. (laughs) I knew I was treading on dangerous ground yet again. So we hold the shield of faith first by getting in, what has God said about my situation? What has God said about who I am? Especially if that, if the attack is coming against my identity, what does God say about who I am? What has he spoken to me specifically and prophetically about who I am? I start to feed on that. I start to get it into my heart. If you've got prophetic words that have been recorded um, and you've got the audio of it, start listening to them over and over. Just put them on repeat until something actually bursts forth in your own heart. It's difficult for accusation to stick around when you start doing that kind of stuff. So... It comes by the rema, by sticking in God's presence with what he has said long enough for it to actually burst forth experientially in our hearts. And then remember, faith without action is is dead. That's what James tells us. Faith without a resulting action that comes out of it is dead. So I want to suggest faith will then result in us declaring something. It will result in a declaration. And the declaration is something like, this is what God has said about my situation. He says, I am salt and light in this world. He said, yeah, and I just start quoting it out loud. And then I say, and I call my spirit, soul and body into alignment with that truth because that is the truth. And that is the truth I stand on. And I just start declaring that over and over and over. Are we making sense? This is how the shield of faith works. Praying it on, like praying the armor on. I've done that for years. And yeah, I, I, it's a good thing to do. But there are things that we want to do to activate it much more experientially than just kind of a blanket thing um, that's like a, a protection formula, if you like. Because if we really want to get into that place of faith, I can pray a thousand armor prayers and go, okay, well, technically that should mean I'm covered, but I'm not actually feeling it. You know, I'm not actually experiencing it. I want to be in that place where I'm experiencing it so that my declaration has power on it. Now, Colossians chapter 1. Let's jump over there for a moment. Verse 22 and 23. Paul talking, he says, But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you wholly in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. Yippee. Except there's an if that comes next. See that word if? Any of you computer programmers? You know if? You know what if means? You can go that way or it can go that way. <laughs> Depending on what, the, what, what happens. If X is greater than 4, then go that way. If it's less than 4, go that way kind of thing. So if... 
if you continue in your faith. In other words, here we see again faith linked to being free from accusation. We're making sense? We're alive? If you continue in your faith, establish and firm and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. So if we remain in faith, and then he says, and of course I just walked away from what I was about to read. (laughs) Establish and firm and not move. That not moved, other versions use the word steadfast. So established on a firm foundation, unmoved. That foundation to me has two parts, and I've always got two, three, or whatever bits. It's just how my brain works, can't help it. Obviously, Paul's talking about the hope that we have in the gospel. The truth of the gospel is, is the firm foundation. What Jesus has done on, by, by dying on the cross and rising again is the secure foundation. It nails our history. It nails, even if our history is full of all sorts of bad stuff, I was having this conversation with a young person on Friday night. Um, you know, they were asking, okay, what do you need from God most right now? And he said, oh, forgiveness. Um, and I said, well, have you asked Jesus into your life? He said, yeah, yeah, absolutely. He goes, but I've done some fairly bad things in the past. I said, yeah, but you've asked him into your life, right? Yes. Well, you're already forgiven. It's a done deal. So let's ask for something else. Because <laughs> you don't need to keep asking for what you already have. You already have it. Now, I want to continually thank him for it, and I want to continually stand in it and acknowledge it, because without the cross, we're in deep trouble. But I don't have to keep asking for something that I already have. Established firm on a firm foundation of the truth of the gospel. This is what Jesus did. Therefore, this is who I am. But then the other firm foundation is our healed and whole heart. It's a key foundation because the enemy uses our brokenness, our unhealed pain and wounds to get hooks into us to accuse us. Before I pick up that, let me read this. This is from Kenneth Woost's, I can't, Woost, W-U-E-S-T. He's written a translation of the New Testament that is very, very literal. He, he takes no care to make the sentence readable at all. He just takes the literal meaning of the Greek and he just plops it out on the page and says, you work it out. Which from a study purpose is actually really, really helpful. I love it. This is what he said. In in, um, verses 22 and 23, he said, Yet now he reconciled in the body of his flesh through his death in order that he might present you holy and without blemish. And this is what I love. And unchargeable before his searching and penetrating gaze. Whack. Now think about this for a moment. I don't know if you've ever been in this place in your discipleship where you think, if the searching and penetrating gaze of God came and looked through me, (gasps) Anyone ever messed with that thought? But what does it say? That like the, the, the news of the gospel is way better news than that. Because his searching and penetrating gaze looks right through you and finds what? You're unchargeable. What happens to accusation when we live in that truth? Baby. Unchargeable, not guilty can find no evidence to convict this person guilty whatsoever, case thrown out. Not even Judge Judy could nail you. I don't know where that came from either. 
So the foundation of the truth of the gospel, that as he searches and gazes deep into you, he finds nothing upon which he can charge you. Nothing. And then the healing and wholeness of our heart. So let me unpack that like this. What are your accusation patterns? In other words, where are the areas that you tend to get accused? We all have patterns. We all have areas or things where the enemy starts to, to get that annoying, grating voice in our ear. And yet there are some things that come and they're just like, yeah, poof, nice try. What else you got there? But there are, there are areas which for all of us, they're, they're like our Achilles heel, our weak spot. Understanding what that is for you, not, not denying it, but understanding what that is for you is, is a part of our weaponry here. Because when we understand what our accusation pattern is, when we get to the source of that, that, that finds the place where the Spirit of God needs to touch so that we're not vulnerable to accusation in that area anymore. So our accusation patterns result from, and here's two things again, either our unhealed, the, the, the unhealed brokenness and pain of our heart is one part. And the other part is what I call the inner head trash that comes from ways of thinking that haven't found their way into the kingdom way yet. Like we all have default patterns of thinking that are actually at odds with the kingdom. We just haven't kind of discovered and gone, whoa, hang on, delete. <laughs> That's not helpful. I love the way Bill Johnson says, I can't afford to have a thought in my head about me that's not in his head. I love that. Romans 12, we all know this. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind, not the removing of it, but the renewing of it. In other words, by bringing our thinking into the kingdom way. See, we all have the mind of Christ. Doesn't mean we use it though. We have access to it, but we don't always use it. Now, our inner head trash is either the voices where the enemy hooks on to unrenewed thinking, thoughts in our head, particularly about ourselves, that he doesn't have in his head. God doesn't have in his head, so I'm mixing he's. Or they often come from the voice of our unhealed emotional pain. Especially the, 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 negative, uh, the unhealed and negative emotions that we've never effectively processed. Now, now I say the word negative, I don't say the word bad, because one of the biggest um, emotional fails that we do is judging certain emotions as good or bad. That is always going to lead you down a really unhealthy path. Emotions are neither good nor bad. They are what they are and they have a story to tell. Now, what you do with them is a whole other matter, which is why Paul said, in your anger, don't sin. He didn't say, stop being angry. He just said, don't let that anger lead you to a place where you do something not cool. And too often in church, we've been taught, well, that emotion's bad, that emotion's bad, that emotion's bad. So push that, just push that away in Jesus' name. Sounds great, doesn't work. Because our heart still, that would have been a table falling over. I know that noise fairly, or a balloon popping, one of the two. Heal them, Jesus, if that's the need. If you hear sirens in a moment, let me know and I'll kind of stop for a moment, but only for a moment. Um, <laughs> oh, it's balloons. Okay, awesome. 
So emotions may be negative, but they may not be bad. What we need to do is let our emotions tell their story in a safe, unfiltered place. And we need to process them out here rather than in here. One of, the, one of the ways that the enemy really messes with our head is when we try and get everything right on the inside before we put it on the outside. And I know for many of you, especially if you're really extroverted and you process by talking, if you don't get to talk it out effectively, you end up in a cloud of confusion. Yes? <laughs> Not just you. But when you, when you can't process those things effectively, you end up with a cloud of confusion over you and you just can't see. And often all you need to do is to talk and to process unfiltered what's going on in here and then work it out in the light out here with a trusted person. But if you try and fix it and get it right before it comes out, you're going to get messed with by the enemy. Anything that comes into the light gets the kingdom all over it. Stuff that gets held in the dark is fair play for the enemy. Okay. So what I, what I want to do is I want to, for, us, for all of us who are stepping forward in destiny, who are, who are starting to take steps toward that which we're created for and that which we're called for, no, you're going to face a wall of accusation as you step there. And what you do when you face that is really, really critical. Knowing what your weaponry is against that because his tricks are pretty predictable. Now, if you don't see them coming, they're not real fun. But if we actually expose them, it's like, oh, it's that one again. Okay, you haven't got that many strategies. <laughs> and we can actually step up to it and nail it. Where we want to be, Jesus made this statement in John chapter 14, verse 30, when he said, the prince of this world is coming, but he has nothing in me. He has nothing in me. In other words, Jesus is standing there and saying, he can come all he likes, but there is no landing place for his accusation in me. There is no unhealed history. There is no inner head trash from faulty, dodgy thinking that isn't the kingdom. There isn't past regrets, past disappointments, past failures that haven't been processed. He has no power over me. Now, that is true for us theologically right now. That is true for us theologically. Whether it's true for us experientially is up to us. Just like any truth in the kingdom. Any truth in the kingdom is true whether we're experiencing it or not, but often whether we actually experience it is up to us. So if you're facing patterns of accusation, what we want to do is recognize, okay, what is the pattern for you? Where does it often come for you? What's that familiar voice? that you go, oh, there it is again. Then we want to track back and go, okay, where does that pattern have its origin? So if it's a historical event where, there, where there's fear on, there's shame on it. Okay, Jesus, now that's the target for your love, for your grace. Let's go there. Let's get some inner healing. Let's get some sozo happening. Let's bring it into the light. And some of you may go, but I've done it. I've had ministry for this area 17 different times by seven different people. And, and I was, you know, our hearts are like onions. They have layers. And every time you peel one, you cry. <laughs> but, but again, part of the accusation of the enemy is when you're facing something again, he goes, oh, well, you obviously didn't do it the last time. What makes you think it's going to work this time? Does that sound familiar to anyone? <laughs> All we're doing is we're going a layer deeper doesn't mean nothing happened. A whole lot happened the last time you got ministry of this. We're just going deeper. 
And if you hadn't done all of the bits that you'd done before, you wouldn't be able to hit the bit that he's about to hit now because it'd be too much for you. See, the grace of God always works by its, as you, he said to, uh, to Israel, as you increase, I will drive the enemy out of the land. Because if I drive it all out in a single day, the land will become numer- too numerous for you. In other words, you, don't, you won't know how to steward it and it'll get filled with wild beasts. Or to use Jesus' language, it will be swept clean, but then unoccupied. So seven spirits more wicked will come back and op- try and open up their can of kick butt on you. So as you increase, as you, ex- as you increase in healing, He will take you further into that realm of healing. He'll take you deeper into that incident until there's a point where you just go, that is done. And that's done once and for all. Quite often we come out of a situation and go, well, that's done. And it is done for now. And what we've been is faithful to what we needed to do at that moment in time. And then we need to trust that the Holy Spirit has our journey and our heart destiny in His hands and he's going to lead us and he knows when is the right time. He's pretty good at what he does. I thought that was a way better point than the reaction I got, but he is, he's very good. And the cross tells me he's more committed to my healing and wholeness than I am. So I can actually trust him with my heart. Okay, let's land this. Faith is our key here. And this is not just trying to talk ourselves into something. This is the genuine spiritual process of exposing myself and my heart to what God has said to be true, to the truth of what He has done and letting my heart soak in it and experience it to the point where that becomes a greater reality than anything else around me, including the seen realm. That is the, that is the heart journey of the kingdom. It's not just a head trip. But don't believe that your head doesn't matter. Because when you have thinking in your head that he doesn't have in his, that creates an alignment with the enemy that allows him to accuse you. Why don't we stand? What I want to do is just speak revelation over... Those places of accusation, just right now, how many of you would say as you're stepping into stuff, you're facing walls of accusation coming at you? Yeah, there's a few of you. I, didn't, I thought there would be a few. It's been in the air quite a bit over the last couple of months. I want to declare over you the truth of who you are, the truth of what God has done. And I want to declare revelation over those patterns of accusation because those patterns of accusation can be systematically dismantled. Just step by step, done. But just like faith requires something of us, this process requires something of us. We can either meditate on the head trash, on the accusation, and stay stuck in it, Or we can meditate on who he says he is and on what he has done and be in victory. There's another if indicator. You can go that way or you can go that way. I know what I'm choosing. Okay, pop your hands out. Receive mine for a moment. Jesus, in your name, I want to take authority 
over every accusing voice, over every person that comes under the covering of this house. And as one with authority in this house, in the name of Jesus, I declare that voice to be silenced right now in the name of Jesus. We break its power. We break its authority. We declare it is a defeated foe in Jesus' name. God, I I speak to every generational pattern of accusation that's been handed down through generational lines. And you you may not understand it because you may not have done anything to bring it on, but it's come down your, your family lines generationally. We break that right now at every generation and at the fourth generation, the third generation, the second generation, the first in you. And in every generation that follows you until Jesus comes, we declare generational patterns of accusation because of generational sin somewhere in the past. We declare that broken right now by the blood of Jesus. And in its place, we speak blessing, we speak your presence, we speak your power to fill up those places and to bring your voice. God, we're the the momentum of authority voices in our life, the sort of stuff we talked about last week has been negative and accusatory. God, we, we release healing into every place in our hearts where those voices have touched and have stolen something from us. And I declare over you that you are a child of the Most High God, that you are the beloved of God in in whom he is well pleased and as his penetrating gaze, gaze searches you, he finds nothing to convict you guilty, nothing. I declare you are free from every charge, from every accusation. And now, Father, teach us to bring our experience into line with that truth. We speak to our hearts and say, believe what our daddy in heaven says. We speak to our minds and we say, come into alignment with kingdom thinking. And we give you permission, Holy Spirit, to expose any thinking, any just default patterns of thinking that are not of your kingdom so we can shift those. And where they've got emotions and pain attached to them, we release healing into those places. We declare that your destiny is more powerful than your sin, your failure, your fear. Your destiny is more powerful because the cross has purchased it. And he rose again to release resurrection power to enable you into that sphere of destiny that you were created for. Father, let your voice Let your affirming, loving voice just settle upon us that says, you are my beloved. You are my cherished one. And my absolute delight is in you. Let that voice be the most real to us. In Jesus' name. Amen.